When Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th last fall, we entered a new chapter in the Arab-Israeli conflict. This conflict, this chapter, is one with real impact on our country, both politically and with relationships, with our history and in the present. We can't ignore it, as we have often done with other international crises, such as those in Africa, for example. This one comes home due to U.S. political history being home to large populations of Jews and Arabs and for so many more reasons. I admit I haven't had to consider the existence of Israel and its impact until now. I mean, I did study some Bible in divinity school. I have a vague sense of political, historic, and economic challenges in the Middle East, but I didn't really have to pay attention. And now, and now Israel is a whole different concern. So when this began last fall, I didn't have an answer, and I have to say the more I learned in the immediate weeks the more I couldn't imagine a sermon that said more than, it's complicated. Or either that or a day of unpacking. There was no in-between. So now, this many months into the conflict, after some study and thought and reading of the news, I'm going to give it a go. And so what I offer is not the answer. It is one reflection. And if I have something wrong, please tell me about it later. I'm sure you will. That's okay. I can't and won't cover every question either. I am not an expert. In fact, I am more uncomfortable with what I thought I knew, and I have more questions than when I started. That's at least a sign of progress, right? And I will go back and forth between talking about Israel and Palestine, Hamas, Jewish and Arab. And I want from the outset to recognize that this particular conflict is not one between equal powers. I am not saying that at all. Israel is one of the most heavily armed countries in the world, and Hamas is not. But rather than simply lecture at some remove, I'm going to go in with the personal and the subjective. Because I, I happen to have a small connection with the Arab-Israeli conflict. And it's not because I'm Jewish or Arabic, uh, because I am neither, but through the work of my grandmother. So let me tell you about her. You would have liked her. So Lois Innes Hackett was my father's mother. She grew up in Massachusetts in an upper middle class home in the middle of Massachusetts, not near much else. She had a great education at Smith College in the 1930s. In fact, she stayed and got her master's in journalism because she refused to fit into the typical jobs of nurse and teacher 
that were designated and secretary that were for women at the time. She was a writer and often a journalist. I remember her as very artistic, as a very cosmopolitan woman. She introduced me to the arts, including theater, and brought me to places um, that added to my social education. She dressed well and with a sense of style. Her wardrobe was so much fun. She was fluent in French as well. The one children's book I remember from her apartment. I'm going to say she's not one of those grandmothers that had like the kid-friendly apartment. It wasn't. That's okay. But the one book I remember in particular is a, uh, was a version of Disney's The Aristocats. But of course it was in French. We loved that book too. My brothers and I were her only grandchildren and she chose to live relatively near us, so we had some time to spend with her. And a lot of the time we spent there were looking at photos and books and art. Now I thought about my grandmother for this message because my father is reading right now the letters that she sent from her years in Europe. In fact, we looked at some of those over our visit at New Year's. Lois wanted more than life in a quiet New England town could possibly offer, or even the city of Worcester in the middle of Massachusetts. The second largest city of New England was not enough. So she ended up drawn to writing and working in Europe, beginning in the late 1950s. And eventually, she was offered a job with the Jewish Distribution Center, also known as the JDC. Now, the JDC was the body that was assisting with refugees and financial distributions from the German war reparations. And Lois might have started as a glorified secretary, but her work grew, especially once they figured out she really could speak French. And she was part of the JDC in Geneva, Switzerland. And she started there in 1958 and stayed until her retirement in 1975. That was a total of 17 years of her life in Geneva. She came back, once she retired, she came back so she could hang out with the grandchildren, so that was good. Her job included letting people know how life was developing in Israel as it established itself and in addition to the funds from the German war reparations, many donors, especially from this country, also contributed. And she met with them in Geneva. She also traveled to Israel with major donors and powerful people at times, including the, some of the families with historic ties to had, the people who had added to the political discussion that started the idea of creating a home for the Jews in the early 20th century. I mean, the long families, right? My father said that part of her job was supporting, uh, part of the job was, was unpacking and supporting how refugees uh, could create their new lives as well. Lois loved being part of the Jewish community. The people she knew were a family for her. 
as someone she was far from the place where she grew up. There were photos of her uh, visiting in Israel in her apartment. I remember those, and she looked very happy. And I'll say, not surprisingly, her life informed my understanding of Israel. I mean, to me, it was a land of culture and history where people were building new lives in their new nation. Certainly, the horror of World War II was there and present because she also, uh, her work as part of showing how the money was going to refugees also was showing how the money was not going to weapons. That's an interesting conversation. No, the money is not going to weapons. And she was there as a publicist to further broadcast how people were migrating, creating community, establishing families, and so much more. What's also true is that when Israel was founded in 1948, there were people there, right? Arabs, Palestinians, people of many different ethnicities and faiths, and that was their land too. So here is where there's many things that are all true at the same time. And here is where I promise I will misspeak and say something that somebody will take issue with, and still here we go. I'll offer I support the idea of the Jewish state, and even the need. I mean, I can't begin to grapple with the impact of centuries of Jewish diaspora, of anti-Semitism, of the Holocaust, being the most shocking chapter in this human experience. We cannot underestimate how the generational trauma triggers fear and reaction in, in people when they encounter the smallest sign of bias, the, small, the slightest word or turn of phrase that has historically been used against them. This is true. At the same time, I am baffled at best by how the powers that were could think that forming Israel the way that they did, including driving out hundreds of thousands of people, was a good idea. I'm at best baffled and at worst disgusted and much more. The Nakba and the, the experience of occupation is real, too. I lament the inability of those in power to find another path, a more peaceful one, a less disruptive, more humane path. I also offer this knowing that the Jewish community is not a monolith itself, either within the same generation or across generations. Israel is not a monolith either. There is the leadership and there is the people and there's a lot in between. 
and the disagreements about Israel, Zionism, and much more are dividing families as well as communities. Many who are part of the Jewish community globally are against this conflict and what Israel has become. That's also true. And the latest news includes the Gaza death toll at about 30,000 people, with thousands more missing under the rubble. So much is present and in our lives all at once. So what would my grandmother say about this terrible, terrible price? Lois didn't comment on the political dynamics in her letters, not much. My father doesn't have specifics about her opinions on the larger picture. So many of the letters were going to her mother. Um, she didn't really engage with that with her. But I know the Israel of my grandmother's time was the emerging nation, the Golda, Golda Meir, the David Ben-Gurion. Lois died at the very, very end of 1993, well before Hamas came to power. But I think probably there were signs of the, the religious conservatism beginning to show. She would have been concerned about that. And she would want the Jewish community to have a place free from persecution. She also didn't suffer fools. I bet she would have things to say about the ever long encroachment of settlers into the West Bank and the violence against Palestinians there as well as in Israel itself. She would have things to say about Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's leadership in the scale of the destruction against Gaza. The human and cultural loss is beyond count. And Lois may even be heartbroken at what has become of her beloved Jewish community and the conflict as different generations consider the existence of Israel and have questions about its formation and its future. So what would I say to her? If I was going to write to my grandmother, we called her Grammy Hackett, just so you know, not Lois, Grammy. I would say I side with the people, all the people, those alive and trying to live now, and those of centuries and decades past wanting to be in the land that they call home and navigating the whims of changes in rules and governances and tolerances for religious freedom and for cultural existence. I would raise the questions of history and choices that let us, brought us to this point. As much as I want the Jewish community to be free from persecution and harm, no government, no body is above question. And our task is to inquire, and certainly inquire of our own governments and leaders too.
I would lament with her, probably, the gender violence being investigated from Hamas's attack on October 7th. That is the most debated point in our local conversation. War is hell, and we create hell on earth when we are at war and violate each other in profound, terrible ways. Make no mistake. And the language. There's a lot of different language that shows up on both sides of this conflict, including language that calls for the absolute destruction of the other in various forms, from Hamas to Israel, from Netanyahu to Hamas, no group is without fault, and humanity gets lost in the middle. When there is no room for nuance, for relationship, everyone loses. I also side with the earth and the consumption of materials that create war, the destruction of the fields and agriculture that has happened, and the pollution of the earth as a result of all this conflict. Somebody should be speaking for the earth itself, frankly. I agree with the ceasefire, the calls for ceasefire, because the military solution isn't working. It is devastating Gaza physically and emotionally. The military fight will create the next generation of resistance and violence. We will perpetuate this. The conflict is feeding anti-Semitism and Islamophobia around the world and in this country, and it is furthering the dehumanization of those who aren't Christian. This is partially where it comes to us. The conflict is fueling this country's social and political divide just the way certain people would like it to. And in case you didn't know, the Unitarian Universalist Association uh, repeated and reiterated its calls for ceasefire this week. Um, and the president of our association, the Reverend Dr. Sophia Betancourt, uh, along with a number of religious leaders, sent a letter to President Biden this week calling for a ceasefire. From my reading, and I think we should be showing up for this conversation more than we are, from my reading, the shift to supporting a home for the Jews, for supporting a Zion, this particular kind of Zion effort, a hundred years ago, was a political move on the U.S. part. And as much as it was, you know, a spiritual or ethical or what other kind of movie you're talking about, it was political as much as anything. The fight between Israel and Hamas has been coming for a while. And the U.S. leadership needs to believe the hardship that people are suffering and exert influence to de-escalate the situation from Israel's end. 
Because of this writing, people keep wrangling and people keep dying, really. I commit to listening, asking questions with as much curiosity and compassion as I can. The local conversation is hard. Just go back and listen to the recording of the city council meeting on Tuesday night. But also religious leaders are trying to talk with each other. The pain is so present just in our corner of the world. I will attend and listen to as many public and private conversations as I can. I saw these words today. Our most powerful response to the horror of Palestine is to refuse to surrender our humanity. If you feel grief strongly, if you feel broken and in pain, allow yourself to feel it all. Refuse to surrender our humanity. My grandmother, Lois, didn't have strong religious connections, but I think she would agree. Do not surrender our humanity. It is nearly countercultural to see ourselves and each other as people and not as objects or commodities or arguments. So I invite us to commit to our humanity, to that of our neighbors, to those we will never meet. I invite us, if we were going to write the letter about Gaza, to offer that powerful work and that powerful witness to each other. May it be so.